0: Hey, I watched Ramekin. Oh, cool! It was really
1: good. It's
0: fucking weird that one, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, it's also just like uh, you did really good on the like the timing of <laughs> the Ramekin moving. I was like, legitimately waiting for the answer. You know what I mean? I was like, <sighs> you know, I, I gasped a couple of times. And it was just very funny. That
0: was probably the hardest part was just getting the rhythm of that down and editing. Because it's such a subtle choice to make of like how long is it going to wait, how long until it moves or not moves or whatever. That was really excruciating to play around with. That was a hard, very hard movie to edit because of all the dubbing and all that. But it was such a specific vibe I was going for. It was it was definitely something I had to do that way. And I'm I'm happy with how it turned out.
1: Yeah, you should be. It was like masterclass in, in editing. Oh, thank you. Every cut is the ramekin is just Great. And the the movie cooks. Because I had to watch it and I couldn't just sit watching it in one. I had to watch it in a couple different parts. But uh it flew by, I thought.
0: Yeah, nice breezy 70 minute. There's also there's Ramekin 2 up there
1: as well. I did I didn't get to the sequel yet. Yeah. Give give me some time.
0: Welcome to the Kill the Lion podcast. It's me, Cody Clark. We have a wonderful show for you today. Frank V Ross is here filmmaker and actor. I love his stuff. You can watch all of it at JoeSwanberg.com. Just $5 a month gets you a ton of Joe Swanberg movies as well as a ton of Frank V. Ross films as well. Go on there today. Watch all of Frank V. Ross's stuff. I, I love it all. Can't wait to talk to him. Before we get into it, if you like the show, if you if you like the films I make, $2 per month, KillTheLineFilms.com. You help the studio You help the show as well do both at once two dollars that's all it takes and now frank v ross all right frank good to talk to you
1: it's nice to keep talking to you too Cody. thank you
0: yeah he's uh he's letting on that we were talking for a little bit before the official frank good to talk to you we were talking about ramekin which which he enjoyed which uh, you know I got audio of and I probably will use on the episode. I I don't usually do like a cold open but you know if it's praise for a film of mine, I think I'll make the, the exception <laughs> and do a cold open there. but Frank Frank is a filmmaker he's an actor. Uh, I came to to know Frank's work uh, through me and my girlfriend Chloe just watching a ton of Swanberg movies. We were on a Swanberg kick for about two months. we just kind of watched every single one. Towards the end, uh, you know, we went on Swanberg.com. and one of the, you know, one of the familiar faces we we saw popping up in Swanberg movies was 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 Frank's face. And we just kind of were like, you know, enamored with this kid. We were just like, oh great, he's in this one again, or you know, whatever. Like we just got excited when you'd like pop up in his stuff. And then lo and behold, we go on Swanberg.com. There's a whole section of films by Frank V. Ross. And so we got so excited there, we started going through those, we've we've loved every single one. Um, The first one we started off with was Quietly On By, we'll probably start there. But uh, Frank, great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's really great. I I love how you uh, uh, came to the movie. It's, It's like the back of a jazz album or something, right? Like, oh, look, that guy's in here. Let's see what else they've done or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, I try and I try and go that way with movies. It's a it's a it's a fun way to go. Obviously, a great way to go with music as well. But yeah, that's a, that's how we found you. You were just a face we liked and an energy we liked, and uh, I, it doesn't it doesn't steer you wrong, you know. If if you like a filmmaker, if you like the actors, they like, and you you know you can go off from there. So the first one we watched was Quietly on by, which is apparently your third feature film. Is that right?
1: Yes. Uh, it's definitely the first one that I'm proud of, but I can't deny the existence of the first two. There's actually a copy of Oh My Dear Desire on VHS in uh, Joe's video store, speaking of Joe. And then the first movie is called The Story of Life. And it doesn't even have an IMDB, but, uh, I made it, it took like 10 months. I was seven, I was 18 and 19 when I made it. And it is, it is, it is atrocious. It was, it was really bad, but that was my uh, that was my film school. You know, I kind of I dropped out of junior college. Or I stopped going to junior college and just started working on, just started making a movie, and uh, I haven't really stopped since. What do you
0: think you got wrong on that first one? Like, what was what was the big thing that makes it feel atrocious to you?
1: That's a good question. Just being eighteen and thinking that I knew anything. Uh, I was definitely trying to like impose. I don't know my my will my 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 cleverness how smart I was how much I knew about life and everything onto the world but really you know like me and uh, Tony's in that one too um, we wrote it together I directed we both starred in it and uh, we both had like lost like Alice Madonna was fifteen he lost his uh, his older brother when he was a little younger than that and uh, we were good friends I think I think we were just two kids who were like traumatized. Trying to trying to work it out through through writing and it just didn't work.
0: So did it come together on like a technical level? Like were you shooting on like a camcorder or something? Because um, I I feel like movies are kind of made or broken by you know things like audio or or whatever. Um, was it was it a problem on a technical level?
1: No, it was probably the biggest crew I've ever had. The first half of it is shot on beta because that was you know mini DV wasn't around yet. This is 98, 99. And, uh, SVHS was the other format it was shot on after the guy who had the beta cameras walked off the movie. We had a sound guy, you know, like everybody was kind of going to Columbia. It was like the first summer after everybody's first year away at college. So everybody came back from like Columbia, the one here, not the one by you. And, uh, you know, was ready to, you know, put a credit on their, uh, thing. We even had like a, a makeup class come to the set one day You know, just all kinds of stuff like that. It was a very big production, you know. That was all still when you get people to do a lot of stuff for free, you know, and volunteer because, you know, we were kids. So it came together that way. It's just bad. It's just stupid. (laughs) So your
0: second one, people need to, like, go to Chicago and and get a, you know, a VHS player and... and (laughs) (laughs) pop that one in in order to see there's no like digital copy available no secret youtube link or anything for for oh my desire from 2003
1: uh so i do have a digital file of it and i'm probably i'm toying with the idea of putting it up when uh i'm gonna put all my films up on a website too once joe's done with them on his so that way it's like i can stop you know burning dvds and you know, mailing them to people when they want to buy them and stuff. So just let it be online. So I'm I'm playing with the idea of putting it up there. But last time I checked, because Amy Baby passed away young, and she is the a uh, uh, star in that movie, and she died. And somebody got a hold of the movie that she was in, and they cut together every single frame that Amy's in. So like, as soon as it cuts away from Amy, they cut the movie, and then the next shot they cut it together so it's just her face and it is it's pretty cool actually is
0: it is it like low-key a better movie
1: it is high-key obsession with Amy baby
0: you see that a little bit on like actors reels or something when i'll watch like actors reels and they'll like grab not just like their one or two lines in whatever movie they were in, but also like all the cutaways where like you can kind of see them and stuff. And it, it creates an odd uh, rhythm a little bit.
1: Yeah. I've done that myself. Like you grab a shot of them looking and you just kind of lay it over the famous actor talking. I've done done that. It helps. just to put your, to put the eyes on the people a little bit more. And I actually think it was pretty well bootleg too, because, My buddy Bob at the time wound up being the drummer for My Chemical Romance for a little while. I think he got bootlegged a lot off of that, but just a bunch of disappointed people realizing that he has like one line. So
0: if you go on like LimeWire, it's like circulating as like a My Chemical Romance, like bootleg or something, and then you download it and it's just this movie or something?
1: Maybe still,
0: I don't know. Did you ever use LimeWire? Were you just a Napster kid or?
1: No, neither. LimeWire sounds more familiar. I don't ever recall using Napster.
0: You paid for paid for your music?
1: Yeah, or like burned it from Friends.
0: I like the, the Friend Burns because it just kind of, it becomes a keepsake almost as much as like an actual film. Like years later, if you find some like burn, it's like, oh wow, that's so-and-so's handwriting and whatnot.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I got a friend, I got a, a CD case of a friend who died last year. And like his, um, his name is James, James Greatest like volume one. Written in Sharpie on the on this on the CD, and it is like it is like a little artifact, you
0: know. Yeah, it's beautiful. So quietly on I was that was my first foray into your filmography, and I was so impressed with that film. To me, it was like the the perfect example of what I would want like kids getting together with a camera and a microphone and just making a movie that that felt grounded in their reality and and all that. To the point that like you know the the character that Anthony Baker plays, like I didn't know if like he's exactly like that in real life, and you just kind of like tapped into that as like free production value, or if he was doing like, you know, a real deep performance. But like as I watched like other films that he's in of yours, he has he has quite a range. He almost has like a weird, like almost uh, Gary Oldman esque quality to him where like he does disappear into these each very separate characters but you know, you still see that it's him, of course, through that, but you just kind of buy each individual guy. Does that make any sense?
1: I yeah. I mean, I couldn't said it better myself. I mean, he's not a trained actor or anything. He's just he's just a natural, uh he's the kind of creative person you can leave alone with a with a lump of clay and a and a and a bone and you know, there'll be something there tomorrow morning, you know. It's just how he is. Just how he came about it. It's really great. Was he like that,
0: that character in Quietly on By when you kind of made that movie? Was he like that earlier on? Or was that just like, because like th- that guy is a guy I've definitely known in life like several times. There, there just is that guy for sure. And like, is that something both of you picked up on? Or is that something that, that draws a little bit closer to one or both of yours, you know, adolescence or
1: something? Well, we were um in an airport, I don't remember where. We were flying back from like the one out of state screen that my dear Desire had and we were going to go back and start working quietly on by and we hadn't figured out what we were going to do yet as far as the performances go and stuff like that. So we saw this kid walking in the airport with like this lumbering kind of like hunched walk and a shirt that was too big and khakis and glasses and his hair was kind of like Tony's in the in, in the in the movie and he's just walking and it was like, that's him. We both just saw him. And we're like, that's him. So we just followed this guy around the airport <laughs> for a while. And uh, just Tony started doing his walks and just got it. And then once he had it, you know, he, he's an athlete, you know, he's a musician, like he understands, you know, the, the meeting of those two things, you know, like the physicality emotion, and motion. And then we stopped and we talked to him for a little while. And uh, he was a lot like how Tony is in the movie. And his name was Ian we almost changed the characters into to Ian but I was like no you both have to be named Aaron, cuz that's my favorite joke in the world.
0: I love that I love that you did that by the way with the the siblings named Aaron and Aaron. It it's just that that's exactly my sense of humor and what I look for as a writer. Just something like that that just it's like a wrench that you throw in there for the actors and also for the people at home trying to like keep track of like actor names as they watch something. I just, to me, that tickles me probably as much as it tickles you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you like it because you know, what we learned with that is, you know, like the only time ever really acknowledge is when the mom yells Aaron and they both yell what it's, they were like, what are, what are we going to do? It's like, you don't do anything. This is every day. This isn't funny to you. The joke is over. It's long past. It's going to be funny to watch because of how not funny it is to be.
0: Yeah, it's a very subtle distinction, but it's it's definitely the way to go for for that to land.
1: Yeah, totally. And I still like it. So, and I mean, and I named my daughter after me, so I just must think that's uh, life imitating art there.
0: What's your daughter's name? Oh, well, Francis. We call her Frankie. So it's kind of that's kind of like what George Foreman did. Didn't George Foreman do that? He has like Georgina.
1: Yeah, he's got like eight kids' names. George.
0: is that a goal for you as well no no I'm done
1: oh, okay I couldn't be more done but it was uh, my wife didn't realize that now I think she you know yells for Frankie I'm gonna answer too right now we're in a dip where it's not funny to her anymore but I, I I feel it's lurching towards when it's gonna start being funny again
0: yeah if you can if you can master the kind of like peaks and valleys of like it being funny and it being not funny and just kind of play that throughout a lifetime that would be that'd be a good way to go.
1: Well see, but it's the funniest to me when she's in the valley. When she's down there, I'm 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 peeking at it being the most hilarious. Then she's got to meet in the middle, you know, every now and then.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I don't always do this, but I just wanted to take a quick break to make sure you know that my new film, Oscars, is now on YouTube completely for free. You can watch it at youtube.com slash Cody Clark. I made this movie in three hours while the Oscars were airing on TV as part of Joel Haver's contest slash challenge where he encouraged new filmmakers and filmmakers of old, everybody, make a movie instead of watching the Oscars. 580 filmmakers did so. I'm one of them. Please just watch what I did in three hours, an entire feature film on YouTube. It's called Oscars. People are loving it. I think you'll love it too. So go check it out. And now back to Frank V. Ross, uh, Ho Hokum, the oddly titled one. You know that's that's a that's a word I had to look up. Okay,
1: yeah, you're supposed to.
0: Yeah, sometimes your titles are like educational in that way, where you got to do a little extra work, you know, to figure out what you're going for there. And I get, I think I get what you're going for with that title. I don't want to like give away what my thought is, but I think I kind of get what the energy is there, but. First of all, there's moments of that film. Is he actually puking in that movie? Yes, he is. How did how did you induce that 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 vomit?
1: So I got to Arizona and Tony was like, I'm pretty sure I can make myself vomit and I was like, Okay, well shave it. He's like, No, I really think I can, especially if it's like hot out. I think I can make myself vomit if I like drink some milk really fast. And, you know, because it's so hot in Arizona. And I was like, okay, well, we'll have to test it on the day. So the night before, we were both nervous and maybe he couldn't do it. So he was like, he drank it, thought about something disgusting, and he threw up in the toilet. And he was like, all right. And I was like, okay, I'll get it in one. So, yeah, it's like a big special effect, you know what I mean? But like he was actually doing it. But yeah, he's, he's puking.
0: Well, you were pretty close to him when it happens because I believe a droplet lands on the uh, lens.
1: Yes, it does. And, uh, yeah, you got to leave that in, right? I mean, that just adds to the realism.
0: Yeah. Do you suddenly feel like you're making a jackass movie when that happens?
1: Well, you know, what I think is because it starts in a long shot and he's wearing the lav and you hear him like, you know, it's such an experience that, no, I, I didn't feel like I was making a jackass movie. I felt like I was doing a really good job.
0: <laughs> Whenever you can sell something like that, where it like the person at home doesn't know—is that real? Is that fake? It looked real, you know. I there's no proof of like a cutaway or anything that'll make me think it was fake. It, you know, it's definitely coming out of him in like a very realistic way, and and I'm glad to hear it was real because that was my instinct.
1: Wouldn't it have been such a bummer if we faked it really well. Well, I would have been impressed, but. Like I'm not gonna ask you how you moved the ramekin in ramekin because I don't want to know.
0: Do you have theories of how I moved the ramekin?
1: Well, there has to be multiple different ways because you had it on the stool where you're exposed. That there's like no magnet under the table, you know. So it's like I have no idea, and I don't want to know. I'm not being funny. Like I really don't want to know how you did it. Like I'll I'll call you if I if I need to know. I'll call you. Like no, I can move something in a movie. Tell me how you did it, and then I'll have to know. But that's it. It's the only circumstance. <laughs> what well, I want to
0: know. So right after Hohokam, which which I should I should talk about more than just the fact that there's a real puke in it, you know, because it is, is, <laughs> it is more of a movie <laughs> than just that. It has like a hangout quality to it in a certain sense, which, you know, I like when I'm watching a movie and then I kind of quietly discover that it's kind of a hangout movie in parts where it just kind of, it's just the characters going to a zoo, you know, for instance, you know, there's something about that where it's like, Seeing what that dynamic is like, seeing what these people are like when they're surrounded by you know other people, so to speak. What was it like shooting you know at an actual operational zoo? And you know, obviously, it's not the hardest thing in the world to kind of covertly do because everybody's got their cameras out and whatnot. But what was that experience like? Was it a little bit nervous to do? Or
1: I guess I was only nervous because we we had to get in there and do it, and I only had the one page of a script. The only thing I really wrote was Allison's line about, um, squirrels. And then you're just sort of like betting on the news that hopefully something will happen. And, um, we went in and like we filmed them paying and the guy asked if my camera was for a news report. And I said, no. And then that was it. Um, we didn't, we didn't get any flack other than that. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, just Tony had to be like not feeling good. Just had to remember like it can't look like a video. It can't look like um, two friends at the zoo. Like like a bit like a whole movie of it. Do you know what I mean? It had to look like a movie. So just making sure that like I was getting shots that would cut together and stuff like that. So it was a little nerve wracking, but it was just me. There's no crews, nobody asking me anything like that. And I was like, okay, go over here, film you know, film this. Okay, guys, let's walk through this stuff like that. We actually filmed the time to go scene. I think we shot that like first because I thought there was that couple kissing or like embracing over their shoulder. Um So I was like, well, right here, let's just do the, let's just do the goodbyes real quick. Like it's time to go. It doesn't feel good. Cause that's like the beginning of his uh shingles infection. Um So I mean that, yeah. I mean, when you get lucky like that with the, with, with the baboon sitting by the window, it's like, it's all worth it. You know?
0: I like the phrase you use of betting on the muse. I definitely think of of art and and filmmaking in general, you know, almost in those kind of uh, ethereal, spiritual terms as well. Like I've compared like, you know, when you when you plan out a shoot or something, it, it can almost be like a seance in that you're putting everything in its right location and you're just seeing what truly shows up, you know, what what spirit's going to arrive you know, through the actors and the performances and whatnot. Um, is is, Are you a little vibrational in that sense as an artist, where you just kind of know that, like, you know, if you set the right parameters, something will show up, something will arrive?
1: So I would say, well, one, um, Betting on the News is the name of a posthumous Bukowski collection of poems. Oh, okay.
0: I knew it sounded familiar.
1: Yeah. And I just, I just, I don't, you know, I haven't even been through the whole book. I just really like that term. But I think before that, my whole thing that I learned like early on in the movies and like getting lucky in shooting is that you can't just go there and be like, well, we'll just shoot some shit and see what happens. So I call it order before chaos. I am a very prepared filmmaker. I'm a very ready to go director. I anticipate what the actor's questions are going to be. Um, I have my shot list in my head. And then when I'm all set and everything, I know how I want everything, then ad-libbing can happen. Improvisation can happen. Um, finding things on the fly can happen. But it doesn't happen unless you're organized. That's what I think.
0: Yeah, I, I believe the same thing. Also, to bring up Bukowski again, my film studio, Kill the Lion Films, it, it comes from a line in the Bukowski poem. It's a poem called The People, and it goes... Uh, uh, true revolution comes from true revulsion. When things get bad enough, the kitten will kill the lion. So that's why I chose "Kill the Lion" films, because it kind of it it to me it represented like you know making something that's truly independent and and small budgeted and whatnot, but that being enough to kind of take on the machine, so to speak.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. I I, I was I, I wanted to ask you what "Kill the Lion" came from. I feel like I should have known that.
0: Yeah, it was one of those like, because I I like his work a lot. I like uh, Bukowski's poems, his books and stuff. I haven't read them in many years, but like I just for some reason sometimes you 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 hit on some line that that feels very musy in, in his stuff. Um, you know, his turns of phrase or his uh, his comparisons or whatever they just kind of feel very vessel-y, like something's coming through him. And that was definitely one of those like things of just like the kitten killing the lion. I just loved that imagery there. And yeah, it stuck with me enough to be my, you know, film studio for, you know, eleven films thus far.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, great. I like it. Yeah, I think he gets I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap, but you know, if you catch him at the right time and read them through the lens of like a sensitive person going through a brutal and disgusting world. I think they, they kind of open themselves up a little bit.
0: Yeah. What's your, what's your process like as a, as a writer? Do you, do you sit down and it kind of comes through you? Uh, do you outline a lot? I know your films, you know, they can kind of have an improvisational feel, but from what I understand, you, you do a lot of screenwriting with them.
1: Uh, yeah, that's the order before chaos thing. And, um, I outline like crazy so that I know where I'm going. I mean, you know, the films aren't plot heavy. So like my outlines are detail oriented and, um, making sure I don't like lose focus, you know, on the meandering, you know, sort of nature of some of the movies, but they're outlined like crazy. And then I write the dialogue and I rewrite them and just wait until everything seems like it's ready to go. And even then I think there's probably a few secrets in there that like me as the director, like, I know that they're not going to come out until the movie's is done. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah,
0: I, I remember hearing Kevin Smith talk about how he views editing his films almost as, like, the final draft of the actual screenplay. Like, he views it as part of the writing process. And that stuck with me, too, because I, I'm a director who edits his his own films, much like yourself. And like, I think of like people that don't do that and it, it almost feels like they're depriving themselves of of some extra part of the process. Um, it, it's really important for me to actually sit down with all the footage, even though I hate like assembling the footage or doing the audio or whatever. I just, I know the film better than anyone else in the world when I actually edit it. Whereas if I were to pass it off to somebody else, somebody else would know the film better than me.
1: Yeah. So, like, why are you wasting their time?
0: Yeah. So, editing editing's an important thing for you, for sure, right?
1: Well, it's the only actual, like, tactile thing that you do as a filmmaker, you know. Um, I always viewed it as one whole step. You know, even when I act in something, that's part of the step. Like, writing it, shooting it, editing it, mixing it, organizing it. It's all one thing in my head. I don't know how to explain it but like I am, it confuses, like I've edited films for other people before and I edit for them as if I was as if I was editing my own footage and I'm confused how, how like why they're not doing it. <laughs> just put your hands on it, man. Like, like I, I, like I understand like, you know, you know, having somebody else work through it is maybe better on the machine or like as a fresh set of eyes or something. But for me, it's all just one continuous art.
0: Yeah. And you end up seeing the movie, you end up seeing the movie so many times to the point that like, I remember, you know, hearing obviously like Woody Allen would get slack for like not watching his movies ever again after he's done making them. And then like, if you read like one of the, the you know, interview books with him or like a biography with him, you find out like he is so heavily involved in the editing process to the point that like he's seen the movie more than anybody's going to watch any of his his movies by the time it's it's released just from you know being in the editing room and watching every every bit of it over and over and over again and and i remember also hearing paul thomas anderson talk about like you know you you have to like really love your movies you know the movies that you're working on you have to adore them because you're going to have to watch them more than anybody else will ever have to watch them just trying to finish them just trying to edit them if you're really involved with that process um, it's it's just such an odd thing for people to deprive of themselves if they're if they're going out of their way to make a movie you know my my advice to anybody at home you know just just edit your thing man just just see it that many times and and see what the film really really is after seeing it like 20 30 you know some odd times
1: the other thing, too, that you learn from editing is it informs every other part of the process that comes before editing. Like, I would have tell an actor, here's all this footage, go edit it. And then you would be, know how to be on camera so much better. and just know how to get on camera and have a sense of when the camera's on you, you know, and like how to, how to play to it and how the footage can be manipulated and, you know, how dialogue, the first few lines of a scene are usually thrown away. You know, like, I mean, how many times are you making a movie? Like We need some lines before this because I'm going to cut in here. So like just come in and say, Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Did you get that note? I sent you instead of just starting with, did you get that note? I sent you, because you know, you get that, that kind of like back from commercial tone that shows have sometimes which like, you know you watch shows on streaming now and it's always like you can tell where the commercial is because you're like i can't believe you started talking to cody like that you know? <laughs> it's like that doesn't belong in movies
0: yeah it's uh for me it's like i i learn the places where i shot myself in the foot and like i can make note of that next time oh totally you, like i i always like when i'm writing i'm conscious of like how can i not screw over future cody It's a very like time travel esque thing where like I gotta remember not to you know it's very easy right now when I'm staring at a blank page, but let's not let's not fuck over future Cody with this movie because he's gonna have to edit it. He's gonna have to shoot it.
1: And then you're looking at your footage and you're like, oh great, yeah, adjust the camera while you're shooting. You fucking idiot! (laughs) (laughs) I love swearing at myself. (laughs) No, you have another take. That was
0: perfect fucking idiot. (laughs) There'll be moments where like, I cut cut off something that was going really well that I just didn't realize was going really well at the time. Oh, and
1: then you hear your voice off camera? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's
0: worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like... You know what it's like? It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, except at at some point you cut the corners of the pieces to like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, form together, but like you cut them in like really stupid ways where it's just like, why would I trim the jigsaw piece like that? It's not going to go into anything right or whatever.
1: The second guy and always knows more than the first. <laughs> but I but I was the first guy. Fuck me. So I
0: want to I want to talk to you about a theme that kind of comes up in a lot of your your movies which I really I thought they it, it really helped to kind of round them out and like kind of you know, build the world around the 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 main kind of focus, which is like, you know, in your in a lot of your films, we see people doing you know blue collar work, we see them doing white collar work, we see you know people you know working with their hands a lot. That it's it's something that comes up a lot uh, in your stuff. It seems to be a motif that means a lot to you. Uh, is is there something there that, that you've keyed into? Because I think it does make your films feel a little bigger because it kind of puts the the personal problems into perspective almost.
1: Yeah. I mean, thanks for noticing. It's not, I wouldn't say means a lot to me as much as it is the world that I am from. My dad was a, uh, uh, he was a laid off dock worker and then he got a job as a maintenance guy. My mom was a waitress. Most people that I know, you know, were, you know, trades people um you know my dad didn't wear a tie you know like for some of my so dad who went to work and wore a tie I was like oh weird and uh so it's just me writing from the world that i come from without without trying to like spin some sort of outside of perspective on it i think
0: it makes sense when you say that because it, it does feel lived in and it does feel like it's coming from you know a genuine place rather than an arbitrary place you know it's uh but I I do think it like it almost like for example you know with your we, we're going through your filmography a little bit with Present Company you know the idea of you working on a bike throughout the movie how did that come about it almost reminds me I don't know if you've seen the Kenneth Anger movie Scorpio Rising you know the uh, the classic kind of avant-garde film where a guy's working on his his motorcycle or whatever listening to music
1: I haven't it sounds awesome
0: Oh my god! It's first of all, it's one of those movies where you you watch it and you're like, "Oh, that's where so and so, and also so and so, and also so and so got their idea to do whatever." Like it's just one of those missing seminal. Like, oh, okay, everybody was just kind of doing Scorpio Rising. Oh, all right, that that's one I definitely recommend.
1: Kenneth Under Scorpio Rising. Okay, it's on the list.
0: It's a quick one. It's like I think it's about twenty minutes, but you know, definitely you could you could cut a uh, you know alternate version of the the moments in present company as like a almost like a parody to do like a Scorpio Rising version for sure. It would be a funny thing to do, but um, you know, present company. You know, he's working on the bike. I don't want to give away where it ends up, but when did that kind of ending come to you? Is that that the whole movie for you? Is that something that comes to you right away? Or is that something you arrived at and realized it could kind of give something to all the preceding events, so to speak?
1: Well, I like bikes, for one. Like, I still have that bike. I I ride it around and stuff. So, I, I I really like bikes. And at some point in the script, the bike was an older person character that I thought was just kind of, I don't know, dumb. I didn't like it anymore. So I turned them into a bike and just sort of put time into the, the the details of working on the bike, as opposed to like buddy ever knowing how he's really feeling. I I don't mind spoiling it. I don't know. Should we just say like, he just, gives it away to a stranger at the end. (laughs) I think that's what he does, you know? So it's like you put all this time into things and then you just give it away. And I feel like that's something that we do as people. Like when somebody says to you, you should listen to me because I've been doing this for 10 years. And it's like, I don't care about your 10 years. He just gave that away. I don't, I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like the bike doesn't really mean anything to the kid, you know, and like he just gives it away. You know, and it's like not appreciating the people around you, um, you know, being too caught up in, you know, your own, you know, whatever buddy's problem is, um, to just walk away, just give up on that part of his, like that that section of his life, you know, or just let it deteriorate. I mean, sometimes you can't help it, but I don't know. I just thought that that was a good little running, um, you know, tactile, um, not metaphor, but just kind of a running scene to kind of bring the movie together.
0: I thought it fit really well, and also it, you know, was there was there ever any decision to you know make it a person that can turn into a bike and 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 turn back into a human, kind of like that that show Turbo Teen, the little animated show from the eighties where a guy <laughs> turns into a car and can kind of turn back.
1: Um, I promise you, there was no Turbo Teen esque idea. Okay.
0: You know, I have to ask these questions. People want to know. You know,
1: you're you're asking the tough questions. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, it did used to open with a sequence where Buddy is driving around; he's clearly lost, and then knocks on that door, and then just everybody acts like he already like they already know him, and he just gets kind of ushered in. The idea being like he gets lost and winds up where he's supposed to be. And I showed a cut of the movie to. a couple of i know i know aaron Katz was there and joe was there chris was there i can't think of who else was there i showed them all the cut of the movie and they're like you know that whole sequence at the beginning like yeah they're like just cut that off i was like oh you're totally right so i mean that's why the movie just starts you know because it's like okay let's get going why fuck around with it you know
0: it's a really strong film like it's it's Probably one of my favorites of your filmography. I like them all, but it, that one's definitely one I connected to for sure. Another favorite of mine is the one you did right after, which was Audrey the Train Wreck. Which you had a you had a John Modesky score on that. How did that score come about?
1: I wanted him to score Present Company, but I didn't. There wasn't. I mean, for some reason, I thought there wasn't enough time. Like the movie was done, and I think we had a so we had a premiere lined up because Present Company appeared at South by. And then um, John wasn't able to score it, but he did. I was emailing with his manager. He did get back to me. He sort of like, he must have been blind CC'd on all of them. At a certain point, he chimed in. Oh, no, that happened on Audrey. So we ran out of time in present company. There was no time for him to actually do it. And the movie was going to premiere. So I contacted him at the very beginning of Audrey. And I was like, here's what I'm thinking. It would just be a session and like where once like, the music will be mapped out and, and um, you know, we can just figure out what goes there when we get there, You know, it'll knock it out in a day. And I think it, that idea kind of appealed to him. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's, it was really that simple. <laughs> he, he said he would do it.
0: Were you a big fan of Modesky, Martin and Wood? I definitely went through a phase where I was listening to a lot of that for sure.
1: I mean that phase, like when I first the first notes I ever heard of notes from underground, you know, John's piano start playing. Like, just I I mean, I'm not exaggerating. They they changed me. It's what I was looking for in music. Like, as soon as the bomb, 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 the drums kicking, in. I was like, "This is it. This is what I, this is what I want to hear. This is the music I want to hear."
0: Are you a big jazz guy in general?
1: Uh, yeah, I really like jazz. Uh, that's why, you know, like right away, the personnel thing, like when you buy, you know, a, a Miles Davis uh, record, you look at the back and you see who plays on it. And then you go get all their albums and you see who plays on it, you go get all their albums. Like it's a fun hole to, you know, to, to to dive into.
0: And what instrument do you play? You mentioned being in a band. What what do you play?
1: I played guitar in a band in high school. And that skill has is gone. But I also, I bought a trumpet after shooting Quietly on by. Because I was like, I think I'm supposed to be a trumpet player and not a filmmaker. And it's, still, it's actually right here. But I taught myself to play that out a little bit. But that's also fallen by the wayside.
0: It's hard to practice a trumpet. You really kind of have to like go off somewhere and, you know, it's not something people want to hear.
1: No, everybody can hear you practicing the trumpet.
0: <laughs> so Audrey the Trainwreck, the the title Audrey the Trainwreck, by the way, you know, it's it's that's a that's a puzzler, you know. There, 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 There is a there's there's a hint in the title for sure, but there isn't actually a character that's called Audrey at least in the credits. I believe I know who Audrey is, but
1: and you're right.
0: You you do these puzzling titles a little bit. Sometimes they they don't. There's something you kind of have to dig through and find. You know your 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 movies. I think that. With with them being like that, it kind of then becomes a thing of like, oh, there's something more to this whole movie that you probably need to see it twice, three times or something to really get the whole thing. Is, is that something you're going for where it's like, you want to make sure people kind of return after they've seen where it ends up, so to speak?
1: Uh, my mouth dropped open. That is, that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. I don't think I ever thought about it that way, but yeah, if you make it the title kind of cryptic, it's like people want to watch it again and figure out like what that title means. Like what does it actually mean? It's like a little riddle or something, right? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this
0: is why I get paid the podcast big bucks, you know?
1: Heck yeah. No, she says, she says her name. Um, so if you can read, lips, you see her say, I'm Audrey when she's, uh, dancing around there. So, but other than that, I, I, I just thought if, I, if I put the name Claudry in there in the credits, it would be more confusing. Maybe I should have done it. I don't
0: know. No, I, I don't think you should second guess. I think it's you did the exact right thing. So something you do in that one, which I I think by the way, I think that one's my favorite of your filmography. I think that's the the one that that I think is is I connect with the most or something. Something you do in that that I really enjoyed. Is you do these kind of beats that, you know, if you're if you're watching maybe like, you know, a late '90s, early 2000s like gross-out Hollywood comedy, you know, you see the kind of things that would happen in that, like somebody hitting their nose really hard and it's like a lot of blood. For for instance, that's something that would happen in like a Farrelly Brothers movie or like a Tom Green movie or whatever of that time period. But you ground it in this reality that's like very familiar and doesn't feel very movie. And it just takes on a completely different quality. It's like you're playing the same notes. You're just playing them in the context of a different piece or so, so to speak. Was that was that something you thought about as far as like like I don't know what your tastes are. Like I I like kind of that those kind of stupid gross out movies you know, for what they are or whatever. Like, was that a thing of like, oh, we're kind of doing that thing too, but we're like flipping it around a little bit?
1: Uh, I think, I mean, that's kind of the trick though, right? Like show something that a movie would usually make a either a big deal or a big joke out of, but just frame it through a realistic lens and like watch how that plays. It's like, oh, see, here, just let things play. And like audiences will be along with it as opposed to like smashing it in their face, you know, like that's what a director does maybe, you know, be like, no, 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 play it down, turn it down, let's not be so broad about it, you know.
0: Well, it's almost like making a choice not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, because, you know, if you want to distance yourself from what other people are doing, like, all well and good, but maybe they're doing something that you could kind of do something else with, for sure.
1: Definitely. Um, I, I don't think I'm, it's not like an intentional sort of Play on. I don't think I'm ever playing against. Uh, that's not really true. I was going to say I'm not really playing against movies anticipation, but I think I do play against audience anticipation, you know, which is like set up movies. I mean, Audrey the Trainwreck is full of like setups where like you think something bad's going to happen, you know, or, um, you know, quietly on by with the white SUV chasing them or, you know, showing, uh, putting the gun in the first act of Hokum. It's like, those things are intentionally put there or even I know we're jumping ahead, but even blue Room and on shuffle where it pans down to where it keeps the shotgun under the bed, you know, those things are intentionally supposed to make you think something's going to happen. That's not going to happen. I, I just think that's the, that's the joke.
0: So it's like the, you know, we, we've internalized Chekhov's gun to the extent that you can kind of, you know, screw around with that a little bit.
1: Yeah. And actually, um, I didn't know Chekhov's gun until after I made *Holocaust*, and I was having uh, dinner with you know, uh, the filmmaker uh, Andrew Bujalski. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've 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 seen his films for sure.
1: Okay, he we were having dinner. And he was like, "Did you put the gun in the first act just so it wouldn't go off in the third act?" And I was like, "I don't know." And he's like, Chekhov's gun." I was like, "Who's gun?" <laughs> so I felt really embarrassed because I didn't I didn't know it. But he's like, "So you put the gun in the first act." to have it not go off in the I said yes, I did. And he's like, that's that's great. Like, oh, okay. So it's just like an internalized sort of thing. I don't I didn't go to film school, so a lot of times I blame my my poor vocabulary on um on that. You know, like not really learning the language of it, but you know, going through and like kind of teaching myself movies. Like I didn't I started making movies before I had heard three act structure, but I was watching as many movies as possible. And at a certain point, like I would write down what happened at certain times in certain length movies. And I was like, Oh, something always happens around page 30. So no matter what, at around, you know, 30 minutes in, something should sort of propel or at least shift or change or something like that. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I think my, my feeling is like, uh, you know, you can learn the grammar for things, but, it's kind of like with music theory where like there's certain things you just feel and you just kind of know without knowing the word for it. Like, you know what consonance and dissonance is, even if you don't necessarily know the word consonance or whatever. You know, these are just things we just kind of know. I feel like most movies, if you've seen a handful of movies, you understand three act structure exactly well for like feeling it at least, but you might not. Like you said, you might not know the actual term.
1: Yeah, totally. Or it's just like you know how how many musicians can't reach music.
0: Yeah, you come at it from a different from a different way for sure. Not knowing can be just as beneficial as as knowing to the nth degree for sure.
1: Yeah, not knowing, but like, I, I think you have to be. You have to lose. You have to shake out your arrogance. You know, and I think, you know, talking about the first movie, like, why doesn't it work? There was an arrogance to the making of that movie. That watching the movie and being like, oh, this is fucking bad, really shook the arrogance out of me, <laughs> you know? So, not to say that I'm not arrogant now. It's not for me to say, because I truly think I'm awesome. But I just think filmmaking-wise, maybe it got shook out of me.
0: It's almost like the thing of, like, hearing your voice recorded for the first time. And, like, it's sounding different than it does in your head. But like the artistic version of that.
1: Yeah, I a do way to put it.
0: So Tiger Tail in Blue, that's a movie that's that's dear to my heart because you know, me and my girlfriend Chloe, we were both service industry for 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 a while. Her way longer than I. She was she was a server for many, many years. And you get like a lot of the dynamic really right with that movie to the point where like I just I'm just assuming you you've you've worked service industry stuff before right
1: oh yeah I worked in that restaurant when we're shooting
0: oh okay yeah it feels like a lived-in place that you just are a part of like there's no I, I'm not surprised by that at all it just kind of feels like you, you just you know where things are I feel <laughs> it's it's a funny thing when you're like watching a movie you can tell when the actors don't know where stuff is <laughs> You know, right,
1: right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like they're afraid they're gonna break a glass. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Yeah. Why are you being so gentle with that? If it breaks, you just dump some grenadine on the ice and move the fuck on. Like, come on. Let's <laughs> one of these days, we'll do something with customers and try to get customers right. You know, because like nobody ever gets customers right. They're always too, Oh yeah. You know, they're always too on one side of the other of the spectrum. You know, like nobody knows how to act the perfect customer.
0: Yeah, it's like in, in clerks, there's like that sequence where it's like it's almost a montage of annoying customers, but it's it's so grounded in the perspective the unreliable narrator perspective of the clerk. Yeah. We, we need like the customer movie.
1: Yeah. We'll work on it. We'll get there.
0: I would like to see Kevin Smith do almost like the Rosencrantz and Gildenstern where like they just take you just just take the customers and like send them on an adventure too, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a movie right there. We all go the separate ways. That's a movie. Yeah, right there. We got we got a picture, kid.
0: Anybody listening at home, plagiarize that if you if you're at home listening and uh, give give us story by credits or, or or something. So, Bloom and Mud Shuffle. First of all, what's what's that title mean?
1: Uh, I think it is. Oh different way to say same shit different day.
0: Ah, okay. And what about tiger tail in blue? What the fuck does that mean?
1: The tiger tail is the kind of donuts that me and Rebecca are eating when we're leaning up against the car. They're chocolate as a no-swirl donuts it's called tiger tails. Okay. So it's that scene, those donuts in blue.
0: So blue and mud shuffle, you you worked with uh, James Ransom, who Wonderful actor. I've, I've always liked him, and everything he shows up in is—is is he somebody you really dug and were
1: looking to work with? Hundred percent. I wrote it with him in mind, yeah. Because then when uh, Joe produced that movie, and I knew that he could get a hold of him. I don't remember how, but I knew he'd get a hold of him. So that was that was that. He liked it and pretty easy, you know. It was a very very low budget movie, obviously. You know, there was still no money for anything. So yeah, he came on and did it. It was, it was really fun. Um, to to work with somebody that i have seen and stuff. And I was like, that's my guy, you know? And then like to get your guy, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cool feeling. You know, it, it was like working with, uh, like meeting the for the first time, you know, like here's this person like so important, but like they're, they're just a, they're, they're a person. you know, they're, they're doing their thing. You're doing your thing. You guys are meeting on the same ground, <laughs> you know, let's do some work. It's cool. It's a cool feeling.
0: Was that a quick shoot? Was that a, you know, a couple of weeks or, or less?
1: I think it was scheduled for 21, and we finished in 19. Okay,
0: he gave you a lot of his time then.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't remember how many days he was on. Maybe 17. But he came in day one, and we did. I think we did like 30 setups the first day, just like all the little, all the little shots, so that you know, just to get your groove and get all those. You know, because nothing takes up more time than a fucking insert of a phone. <laughs> So just getting all that stuff out of the way, so we can just shoot the
0: you know the, the meteor scenes, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a wonderful film. It's it's you know one of my favorite performances of him, which is you know saying a lot because there are a lot of great performances out of him, you know, throughout his career for sure. Yeah,
1: totally. It's good to hear
0: that. And of course, Natasha Lyonne as well. You got to work with her on on that one. That's I it feels like that's kind of your movie with you know more known people did the process change at all or was it just kind of like making any of your other films
1: it was a little bit more formal than making some of the other movies just a little bit more of an air of just there was a little bit more professionalism needed like that's when i learned like most favored nation and stuff I was like, oh, okay, it's just about treating everybody fair. Like, I could do that. But, you know, still, once people realize that, like, you're cool, you can make jokes with them and stuff like that and, you know, fuck around. And I think it was, like, the first night, union-wise, we had to rap. But, you know, James would look like, I know I signed up for a stupid fucking shower here. You know, like, that sort of thing is, okay, well, we have to know that because we, we can't make you do stuff, you know? So just a, there was a little bit of that, and then like learning that like the three on, one off, and then if they go this long, you got to start here and stuff. So it was actually kind of fun to schedule it that way to be like, oh okay, and it's smart and it teaches you not to overwork either. You know what I mean? And like, you know we finished two days early, so that's that, that's about all. Other than that, they're you know they're, they're actors, you know they're people. They're they to doing a good job. Listen,
0: was that your first union film at
1: all? Uh, no, they they've been because like Rebecca is. SAG and stuff like that. So we've had to go through them, that stuff before, but you know, not, not on that level. And then this time I didn't have to deal with it. Cause like JJ was the producer and she took care of it. So it was also like, Oh, you're going to take care of that. Sweet. Okay. And because, you know, when you make a movie, you know, for like, you know, uh, 5,000, 10,000 movie, you know, I, I don't really often have I've made enough movies without producers where it's like, I, I do everything. Right. And, uh, like, you know, and so you learn a lot there. So there's a the relief that comes with somebody else doing it, but there's also like the frustration of losing control over things, you know, it's like, wait, that's just going to be taken care of. All right. I I'm believing I want to see it, you know, and then it is, you know, it's kind of nice, you know, but like Bloom and you know, we had, you know, the, you know, the actors and stuff, but we still didn't have any money for what I'm used to not having money for, you know, but like, we'll leave the tags on those because we're bringing them back. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know? As far as cameras and and on a, like a technical level what have you used kind of throughout your 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 filmography it's it, it apparently you know you're talking about using mini dv and also before that you know on your very early stuff using beta but what kind of what kind of cameras are your cameras so to speak that that you you know like the feel of or or you like the look of your stuff on or whatever
1: you know i stopped shooting with audrey when and dave had a, a panasonic you know which didn't even have lenses or anything uh just, you know with the with the hd cards and uh i like the way his stuff looked when he shot it so i was like look at him and then um give us a shot tiger tail with a canon 5d and then i and with lumen we got a, a more expensive camera that had lenses and stuff and i would just say that my only preference i don't really care what camera we're using i just don't like stuff to look too too clean you know too too nice you know too static you know yeah i just like it to look a little rough
0: yeah i'm the same way like i'm i'm not afraid of gain you know i'm not afraid of like iso being a little bit high or something because it can kind of bring a certain quality to it i remember i was watching like a movie last night i think um this joaquin phoenix movie called come on come on that came out like last year and like, it's a black and white, it's a black and white movie. And it's so like, there's not any grain whatsoever. It's so waxy clean. And it was like, it was it was actually making me nauseous as I was watching it, which I don't know is the intended effect. But like, when you know something should have some grain to it, like just cognitively, and it doesn't, it just kind of becomes this uh, almost like uncanny valley thing when you're watching it's it's not a bad movie by any stretch like i enjoyed it enough and whatnot but like that quality to it like was like nails on a chalkboard for me personally but wouldn't be to most people i would say it's just too clean
1: yeah yeah that's really good yeah i never thought of it that way I i've seen like i haven't seen the movie but you know i saw the clips of it it is it's like uh it's almost 3d so clean
0: yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird way to go I don't know that it fully landed for me, but I I'm used to being in the minority on technical aspects like that with movies. Like I'm just I'm I'm doing my own thing and audiences are doing something else or or whatever.
1: Yeah, I just think a clean video image to me feels cheesy. Yeah, a crisp, clean, you know, super sharp video image doesn't look good to my I when I look at it so I think I just kind of land there. Like I like the idea of you know different lenses and you know and and all that camera mumbo jumbo. But my philosophy I has always been like I'll make a movie with what with what I got. Um that's that, that that's where I land. You know I always tell uh you know, talk to plenty of film classes and you know they're they're very equipment obsessed. It's like that's good it's okay to be equipment obsessed, but I can make a better movie than anybody in here with with a VHS camera and two VCLs. You know, so it's like just focus on 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 A and 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 then get to the you know, the technical thing. Like work with what you got, you know.
0: Yeah, it's like it's almost like if a camera's too new, nobody's good at it yet. Nobody knows its likes and dislikes.
1: (laughs) Nobody knows how to use it.
0: It was the re- it was literally the reason I didn't go to film school is because when I wanted to make my first movie, it was right when the DSLRs were coming out, so it was around like twenty ten or so, and everybody was real excited about DSLRs and what could be done cinematically there, and I was too. And I was like, if I go to film school, I'm going to be learning on these, I'm I'm going to be wanting to learn these cameras that everybody else is learning at my exact time. So like, I'll just go on YouTube see what people have figured out with them kind of figure out my own thing as well and get to know the camera myself, you know?
1: Yeah. Like Mike shot the the Tiger Tail in Blue on the 5D when people were like done with five D, but like he knew that camera. Yeah. So you know he he shot the shit out of that movie because he, he knew the camera. That was his that was his gun, you know?
0: Absolutely. It if you know a camera's likes and dislikes better than anybody else, your movie's gonna look better than anybody else's. It's going to feel like it, it almost like with an actor, like you're not asking the actor to do anything they can't do and they're going to give the best performance ever. <laughs> it's like you're not asking Daniel Day-Lewis to like be the Jonah Hill role in Superbad. So you're never going to see him like fall flat doing that. You're, you're giving him roles that he's going to kick ass at for sure and that he can embody.
1: Yeah, you basically put, so put the camera in the right place, put the right person in front of it, right thing you say, put it in the right time, it, it'll all work
0: out. Yes, well said. So before we go, um, if you've heard the show before, you might know that we do a little segment, quick segment before we go called Stupid Questions. Can I ask you a couple stupid questions before we go? Yes. All right, first stupid question Your name is Frank V. Ross, right? What's it like to have a name that sounds like a court case?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's like uh, wanting to read about this real estate deal in Florida from 2003. That's the case of Frank versus Ross.
0: Oh, so there actually is one. Okay. Because I did a little research. I found two Ross v. Franks because I guess the, the... the person suing goes first. So I found two Ross v. Franks. I didn't find a Frank v. Ross, but of course, you know, you're the expert. I'm sure you found one. That's Frank v. Ross. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm not the expert, no. Was,
0: was that exciting for you?
1: Uh, it's, you know, it's annoying. You know, when you got two names, that could be first names or last names. and They're all one syllable. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of my name. The only thing I like about it is... Um, I've been introduced to people before as Frank before they maybe they see one of my movies or something and they go oh you're Frank V Ross and it sounds like they say Frank V Ross and I like the sound I like the sound of that when that happens.
0: <laughs> so before I knew that there was an actual court case called Frank v Ross, I was I was hoping that you could kind of you know if if you found like you know, former United States Representative Barney Frank, and you pissed him off enough that he sued you, you could actually be Frank V. Ross in a suit called Frank V. Ross.
1: Well, um, if ever the opportunity arises, I'll get there.
0: It's, it's something to strive for. Yeah. So last stupid question. This is, I mean, it's it's just a common question. You know, it's a, it's not really a stupid one, but... You know, favorite filmmakers, influences. Uh, what 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 kind of uh, you know stimulates you and, and makes you want to get out there and make movies, or or even just as an audience member, what are you into?
1: I really like. Um, I, I'm definitely more of a movie fan than I am a filmmaker fan. That's for sure. Like, probably you know, like some of my favorite films. Like, I I love the Bicycle Thief, but that doesn't mean I've seen every of movie. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, and I was like, oh, this is, he made my favorite movie. I checked that one out too. You know, that, that 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 sort of thing. But, I mean, watching, like, Igmar Bergman and Mike Lee in the same day made them both very influential on me. Like, I watched Persona and Life is Sweet in the same day um, when I was, like, you know, 18 and, like, trying to learn about movies and stuff. And I'll be, oh, okay. I can.
0: I love Life is Sweet. Life is Sweet is fantastic.
1: Yeah, this got to be one of my favorite movies. It's just so. It's just like, look at this. <laughs> look, look, look at this guy did. Um, I don't know. It wasn't the most mind blowing thing he ever said, but like, I'm looking at my, uh, and my. Uh, I I have five movies on my desk right now from the library that I haven't watched yet, but like. No Time to Die, Tony Ergman, Bright Star, Ellen, Throne of Blood. So, you know, my tastes are all over the place. I like
0: that you rent from the library. I'm a huge advocate of that. It's kind of the best video store around these days.
1: Yeah, agreed. Oh, oh, I just thought about that. It's like going to a fucking video store. Yeah. Oh, totally.
0: Except you get 10 movies at a time and, you know, you don't have to pay unless you're, you know, severely delinquent or whatever. <laughs>
1: Or not uh not, not incorporated because the library card just costs more. So, you know, I really love this movie called um uh, twenty street. It's early nineties. Um I forget the name of the guy directed it, but it's got Anthony Vapalia and Danny Aiello in it. It's about the guy who first won the uh, well, it was by uh, George Gallo, who made some movies. But I watched I've probably seen that movie, watched it with my dad probably fifty times without exaggerating. And my mom found a DVD and gave it to me for Christmas. And I was going through and watching it and just watching kind of the texture of all of those scenes. I was like, Oh, I'm echoing this movie that I watched over and over when I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old. And weirdly enough, there's a scene in that, uh, overboard, the Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn movie, where they're all just, they're at this meeting and they're all just talking. And it's very, um, frantic and kinetic and, I think I watched that movie all the time when I was a kid. I was like, "Oh, when I go and make like a hectic scene, I'm I'm, something about those scenes like stuck out to me, and and they echo when I go off and do something." So I definitely think there's it's more like movies are an influence on me as opposed to like individual filmmakers and stuff like that. I think with like novel writers, I definitely seek out more things that they wrote as opposed to like filmmakers. Like I, I love watching a John Huston movie and just seeing how they all have like this attitude and point of view. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's really cool. You know, like you can see what a director does just in the way people treat each other and talk to each other.
0: Yeah. I think that's an important distinction of the, the influence that individual movies can have. It's almost like some, sometimes all you need is that, that single movie to really, you know, teach you, most of what you need to know if you if you really revisit it or if it really sticks with you or or resonates for sure. I think people talk about, you know, filmmakers, you know, a bit too much because like films themselves, it's like, you know, everything coming together at one particular time. It's it's beyond just the director. It's also just the fact that like it all it all came together, you know, whatever whatever they were trying to do, it all coalesced in 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 some way it's like this moment in time so to speak whereas a filmography can go through especially in the studio system can go through like rough patches that have nothing to do with the filmmaker whatsoever or or whatever like you don't know what's what's going on particularly
1: right totally totally where like yeah the the movie and you always hear these stories about the, the movies and the way they went and this magic happened this was supposed to happen but then this happened and it's like that's the order before chaos thing you know you just get everything in line and then chaos ranging to come out with something special
0: do you have a do you have a favorite Swanberg movie by the way is there one that really connects with you
1: uh 19 Weekends.
0: okay that's a great choice
1: yeah I uh I adore that movie I was in a long distance relationship for a little bit after high school and there's just something that like struck me about that movie. I just and then just going back to it and revisiting over time. Like I, that that movie gets me.
0: So any any new movies on the horizon? What what kind of stars align for for there to be a Frank V. Ross movie? Like what do you feel like an itch at a certain point, and then you just make one, or or what's the what's the deal?
1: Well, I'm not quite sure because you know before. You know, every time I've wrapped up a production, like finished a movie, I've written a script that didn't get made. And then I wrote another script and then that one get made because it was, you know, so little money. So and now this time, like after I finished that, I um, I quit waiting tables um, a while ago and started working on uh, a novel. And uh, I've been just working on novels for a few years now. But somewhere in there, I also finished a screenplay, and you know, gave it to my guy, and maybe we'll we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll make it this long. If not, I'll just write another one and make that one. You know, I'm never, I'm blessed enough to not be short on ideas, so we'll see what kind of stars need to align. You know, when you're 41, you know, and you've got two kids, and it's just different now. So,
0: well, I'm looking forward to you know anything you got coming up as far as novels or, or films, you know, you have a, a fan in me. I want to follow you wherever you go artistically. Um, so I'm excited, whatever, whatever
1: comes through. Well, thank you for saying that. It means the it means the world to me. All right, Frank,
0: great talking to you. And uh, if, if you, if you're listening at home and you haven't seen his movies, Joe com is probably the best place to go right now. You can, you can see almost all of them, you know, you could see "quote unquote" all the good ones, or whatever. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, no, that's what it says. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so go there. I think it's like a couple bucks a month. It's it's an, an insane deal. You can see a lot of Swanberg's movies. You can see, especially the hard to find ones. You can see a lot of uh, of uh, Frank v-, v Ross movies. I think uh, uh, privacy settings is up on there. That's that's one you did with with Swanberg. That's a That was like a fun one. That was a weird one. What what was that experience like real quick before we go?
1: We were shooting that while some other stuff was being shot. Silver Bullets was being shot while we were shooting that one. And then actually that character's in Silver Bullets just for a little bit. If you peel your eyes there. Um, and then it was uh, just like late nights and weird movies and hanging on a window. And I really hurt my arms hanging on that window. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it was just a fun little you know, thing that we did whenever we could. And then, um, do I have an editing credit on that movie?
0: Possibly. I'm not, I'm, I'm no full expert in, uh, this stuff, but maybe.
1: Well, at a, at a certain point, he, I, he gave me all the footage and all I did was put it all in order. And then he probably went through and shaved it up a little bit mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But, you know, I met Megan shooting this movie, uh, who then played, you know, uh, in Tiger Tail and blue. And I thought with Megan acting with Megan for the first time, I was like, Oh, this feels like chemistry. Yeah, I felt like we like I felt like we uh, got along well on camera, so that was a cool feeling. So that's why you know, she's in Tiger Tail.
0: Yeah, the the cheating scene in Tiger Tail and Blue with you and her is just so good. It's like th- that's a scene in your stuff that I just think works like so incredibly well. Just the the dynamic and 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 where it goes and everything. It's just a fantastic scene. you, you, you two definitely have a lot of chemistry. All right. Well, Frank, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for being on the show. And
1: uh oh my God, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Appreciate it.
0: And also, any any desire to put some of your stuff out on like DVDs, like little small batches or Blu-rays or something? Are you are you a physical media guy in general? Does that mean anything to you? Or
1: I am a physical media guy, but I don't I don't have any plans to do that. I plan on putting them up streaming, but uh yeah, I'm, I'm holding up for the Criterion box set. Okay. So we'll see. All right. I miss, you know what, I
0: miss the Eclipse sets. Remember the Eclipse sets they did for a while?
1: Yes, I love those.
0: Those were so good, and then they stopped, and it's like, oh, man. Your stuff would be perfect for an Eclipse set. I I love the Eclipse sets.
1: Okay, well, it's uh, it's been said now, so it's out in the world.
0: Yes, yes. All right, Frank, thanks for talking. Talk to you soon. All right, you too, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you all for listening, and if you like the show, of course, $2 per month, killthelinefilms.com. You help the studio, you help the show as well. That's the best way to support us. Thank you all for listening. See you soon.